Ron Bennington, man. He fucking takes the cake for funniest audio this week. He's hysterical. I remember when he was down here on Ron and Fez, WIOD. Oh, he used to broadcast in Florida. Yeah, and I was on the show. WIUD? WIOD. I think it was WIOD. It was AM. Uh huh. I met him, and then he liked me, and he said, Kid, you can come down here anytime you want and be on the show. How did you meet him? Um, a friend of mine who was a comedian knew him, and I went down to talk about a show I was doing, and um, he liked me, and he said, you can come down anytime you want. Why and did he like you? Like, uh, like you, like you, or like No, you? He, he thought I was funny. He thought just, I was funny. And, I'm just playing. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I would, so one day I was I called him up. I said, listen, man, I, can I come down? He's like, yeah, come on down. I told you, kid. He used to call me kid. I told you, kid, you can come down anytime you want. I used to come down, bring coffee. But there was one time, I'll never forget, the phone number for the studio was very similar to like a furniture store. So sometimes people would call. Looking for furniture? Accidentally call this. And as soon as they did, they shut everything down and start recording. And Ronnie would act like he was the manager. No, that's awesome. <laughs> and totally like say the most inappropriate things. And he would like, okay, sir. I want you to go over to the couch, and you know that tag on the bottom that says "Do not, do, do not remove." I want you to tear that off, okay? Because <laughs> he's like, he's like, no, you didn't do it, did you? I'm like, oh, you should have done that. I was kidding. All right, now I wanted you to take your finger and poke it through the bottom. Like he just, he kept the guy on the phone for. We were on the floor laughing. Ronnie's hysterical. And then when I first started doing comedy, he actually opened up for me. A couple times just to get people to come. His which butthole or for shows? He he opened up for me um, to do the shows. And the th hard part was everybody was there to see him, not me, because I was so new. But he was... He yeah, was, why did you open for him? He, I mean... It was like, my show. Oh. It was my own one-man show that I wrote, and he was oh. being supportive. And he opened up for me, man. That is so nice no, of him. he was the greatest. He was the greatest. That's like Johnny Depp writing the foreword for I'm Doug Stanhope's you. book. He was so supportive of me. And then back when we had the Chad, hanging Chad thing in Florida with the votes, he called me He called me from the studio up there in New York, and I would act like we were counting votes in my, all, in my apartment and stuff. It was funny. I That's love that guy. awesome. Did, would he ever reveal to the people on the furniture line that he wasn't a no, furniture store? I don't store? think he ever did. They, they just, just kept calling back. They just off. fucked up their furniture because and then of they their... started using foul language, and he'd be like, "Sir, sir, I'm a Mormon. Please control the language, sir. Please." <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I've great. never done prank calls, but I feel like I I might be good at it. You probably would be good at it. I'm great with the idea, but I can't not laugh. You have to sell it and stay in character. Well, but nowadays you can press mute on the phone, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's easier because you can actually laugh at them yeah. and then unmute yourself. Yeah. So you listen to, okay, well, there's a lot of drama going on right now in New York about the Opie and Jimmy situation. Situation. Yeah. <laughs> and um, Opie tweeted out a video of a shark tank. Yes. And he was like, he left like this cryptic, mysterious message. He was like, keep your head on a swivel, lamb chops. <laughs> because you never know. What What do you think he meant by that? I think. Where was the music coming from, though? Was that, did he edit that in? Or was that actually, was that like, was that his Shark Tank? I mean, was that his, was that a museum? What was that? A, He's at an aquarium. Aquarium. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But that seahorse wasn't real, right? Uh, was it? I don't think the seahorse was real. 
You think the seahorses is not real? Well, I think seahorses are real. I just don't think that one didn't look real to me. It looked like a plastic one. I don't know. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if it was real. I don't think the seahorse was real. We'll have to watch it again. But um, yeah, I know it's. I mean, here, don't you think? I mean, I listened to something a while ago, back when they were having problems. And actually, uh, Jim Norton, I remember when we back in Boconut days, I took him and Rich Foss to a hotel when they were working back at Boconuts in Boca. Oh, cool. They were, Yeah, I didn't realize who they were. Um, but um, don't, don't you think they just do that to build up hype, to build up? No, drug? no. You think it's real? That's actually one question that I asked during the fight in December. They started fighting within. Oh, wait, yeah, I listened to the show. You were there. Within the first five minutes of them fighting, getting into this argument yeah i knew it was real but i know that in comments people always write this is probably all manufactured just to get their numbers up right and i knew there were going to be people there who were doubting whether this was a real fight or not so i asked a question i said is this for real or are you guys (laughs) just playing and i remember norton was like no this is this is real wow and you don't like conflict at all (laughs) (laughs) i remember you oh my god well that was just so awkward because I, I pictured you in there like hey uh how's everybody doing that must have been uncomfortable as hell it was so uncomfortable because when else am i ever in a situation where i'm stuck between two guys fighting i don't think ever i think that was like my first fight between right. two dudes right like that you know right. where they're fighting over something not me you were trying to <laughs> You were trying to smooth it over, too. Yeah, so that was really, really weird. But I know for a fact that that was a real fight. I was there. It was it was really uncomfortable. So what do you think happens? Like, two people are doing a show. One of them gets more popular than the other one. Mm-hmm. The studio starts to talk to them, the network, whatever. Oh, with this contract that's, yeah. that they're up for renewal? Yeah. You know, I think Opie was expecting to get a raise or more money or at least stay on par with the seven-figure salary he was making in his last contract. And just like YouTube is taking over TV, people don't even have TV um, cable anymore. Mm-hmm. You could just stream everything on Netflix and Amazon. Right. So I think radio is turning into that. There are tons of terrestrial radio guys who have had to take pay cuts, I'm sure. It's just a dying medium, and podcasts are more of a growing medium. Right. And so I think Sirius was probably happy that he didn't take a five-year contract. But they're getting paid so much. But I wonder how much they offered him. What do you think? I know. When I heard heard the deal wasn't, like he said, when they do the right thing, the deal wasn't the right thing. Like I was wondering how much it was off. It sounds like it was off a lot. For him to reveal that, yeah. it must have been, I'm guessing, less than half of what he was making really? before. If I was making $3 million a year, right? and then they said, hey, we're signing you on for $700,000, I might reveal to people, hey, they're not offering me as much. But if they were offering me $1 million as opposed to $3 million, I might just take it and not reveal it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's. I would be like, hey, that's a lot of money, but it's not three million. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what happened? How did my value go down that much? 
Yeah. You know, I know, but it's just like they get paid so much money. They get paid so much money, or they used to get paid a lot of to money. To do what we're doing but right so- now. But it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like Norton got a good deal. Yeah. If he if he was eager to sign it, and Opie always like waits till the last minute to sign it, mm-hmm. which annoys the staff and his co-hosts. But it's probably a good business move. I did that when I got laid off from Sharpie. What? <laughs> 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 nice segue to the Sharpie thing. <laughs> You always find a way to get that in every conversation, don't you? <laughs> but it's true. No, like, I, I had to negotiate. Yeah. And that's when I started becoming good at negotiating because up till that point, I had just, this was my first job out of college. Mm-hmm. And then they were laying me off and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm screwed. I have no source of income. I don't know what I'm going to do for money. And I negotiated like a longer severance pay. Yeah. People, you know what? That's that's a, that's good. I mean, sometimes people have trouble valuing their own worth, their 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 skill, their art, mm-hmm. whatever. That's why. Like, I remember back in the day when I won a contest at Boconuts to be the house MC when they first opened up, and I called up the the owner called me up and he was like, "So, uh, listen, you want MC this week?" I'm like, "Sure." I go, oh, by the way, um, what does it pay? He goes, "Oh, no, no, it doesn't pay." I'm like. What do you mean it doesn't pay? He goes, there's no pay. I go, but it's it's a work. It's a job. I mean, you have to pay something, even $25 to MC. you got to pay something. Or yeah. It has no value. And he goes, well, you're getting stage time. I'm like, yeah, but I already won the contest. I already, yeah. It's not like it's the improv or someplace, you know, it's not New York City. It's not like somebody important is going to see you there. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not like L.A. or New York City, right? So I go, well... I'm sorry. And I, I needed money back then. You know, I was like, I'm sorry. I can't do it for free. You have to pay me something. He goes, well, there's plenty of other people that will do it. And I said, good, then use them. He goes, okay. I go, can I still come and do open mics and stuff there? He said, yeah, absolutely. So I hung around the club, never worked for free, never worked for free. I mean, I would go to a club to do a guest spot to get work, but never worked for free. And one day the feature didn't show up and they're like, Mike, can you do 20 minutes? I'm like, yeah, but you got to pay me. And they're like, I know. And those guys that do stuff for free never got respect. Wow. You never get respect. You have to, it's, look what, you know, we, we paid our dues. You know, we, 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 we did all those open mics and had all those bad sets and drove all those miles to, it's worth something. Well, I, I mean, at some point you stop doing free shows right. and you start turning gigs down unless they pay. Right. But it's hard to know, like, what it's hard to dictate to yourself at what point do I deserve to get paid for this? Because yeah. you're used to being feeling lucky that anybody gives you stage time when you're an open micer. Right. It's like when I used to go to Children's Bible Fellowship on Saturday mornings and we would be coloring pictures of Jesus. And at a certain point, I was supposed to graduate to writing testimonies. And these people, who, this girl who was like two years older than me, she's like, I think it's time you start writing testimonies. I'm like, I want to keep coloring pictures of Jesus. <laughs> 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 like a Ned Flanders kid or something. <laughs> like, I was like, this, like, coloring pictures is so much better than writing all my sins down. Like, at least I get to draw and play with colors and shade and blend and stuff. Next week, we'll be making crucifixes out of wood (laughs) in the manger scene. But that's awesome. You got to know your worth, right? You have to know your worth. And, you know, like, it's, look, I'll do a show for free if it's for a cause or it's a friend who's starting a new room. It's up to me. But when people offer it, like, what I, I don't like either when people, like, 
they kind of don't tell you how much you're getting paid. Like, and you're supposed to just show up. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. I, I have friends that'll do that for me. Like they, they really don't need the money and they don't care. And they'll just show up. Cause I, sometimes I don't know really how much it's going to be, but I'm always fair. Like I'll, if I get more money, than we thought we were going to get, I spread that around. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we, but we never give, you know, you never get less, but you got to pay people. You have to, people got to get paid, man. You're so good at that. You've had me on your shows and you've always paid me. I feel like you have to. Yeah. You have to. It's an insult not to. I guess and that's, I've run shows before yeah. and I didn't pay the people because I wasn't making money to begin with. Right. And I was just doing a weekly show just to like get myself stage time right. and, try to build something up that hopefully that we could start making money but right i mean it's like um it's like when we, somebody puts a show together right and then they get there and they're like the mc goes i was this happened in stewart one time and there was nobody there it was a, a restaurant and he goes how so how much would you um be willing to take i said i would be willing to take what you agreed upon before i came here before i drove up here two hours or whatever it was and i i'm not in business with you your business is this you're i'm not a business partner you're i'm a vendor you're hiring me as you're an independent contractor right it's like i was talking to peter fogel today uh, on the phone and we were we were talking about some people who have a history of bouncing checks to comedians back in the day and i'm like no you got to get paid i'm like can you imagine if you're on stage you're like okay i'm just gonna do the setup but if you want the punchline you gotta pay me like <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, right. I'm not giving people, the people would look at us like we're ridiculous yeah. for doing that. Yeah. But the people in the audience, they don't know yeah. that the owner is screwing us yes. and you got to be on stage with a happy face right. acting like everything's fine. You were just told that you're not getting like a few, you're the product. I know they're making money on the drinks, but so how would you like it? If you know, like uh Jack Daniels goes, no man, we're only going to give you half a bottle today. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they, we're the product. We're the ones that made those people. We're the ones that have to get paid. So did you see Ronnie's when he's whispering into the microphone? Oh, did you see it? No, I didn't see it. Oh, I heard, you heard, I heard it, it though, right? Because I'd I love listened, to see it. I listened to it. No, they don't videotape. That was so funny. Hysterical. I loved when he was like, I guess it's not Opie and Anthony anymore. It's Opie or, or Anthony. Anthony. Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 that was so fucking funny. I was like, what a I know. what a great take on that. And when he said that, I was like, how did I not think of that? Exactly. Like, it's so obvious. I'm like, that is a great line. How did I not think of that before? Oh, my God. One time I went out with this guy in Boston. I was at a comedy show and somebody like made a joke about haiku or something. And the guy I was dating was like, I thought of that. I thought of that before he did. <laughs> I'm like, ew, shut up. And you're never getting into my vagina. <laughs> <laughs> By the way. In case you were wondering. <laughs> I'm like, you, you're going to like fight over that? Come on. D did you hear the, and then I was listening to the Comedy 101 where I guess last year, Thanksgiving, they had a, and they're going to have another one this year where they have comics come in to one of the clubs and then they had like Rich Voss and they had all these, you know, professionals oh. and they give them pointers on their set. I've never seen it. I was listening to it today. It was hysterical. But I've heard Red Band complain about it. It was that was so funny though. I don't these guys. I mean Voss. I remember I watched him back in the day at the comic strip in Fort Lauderdale. I watched. I just met him about I don't know 15, 20 years ago. I remember watching him piss off the entire 
audience to the point where they were going to leave and then win them back. Wow, that's amazing. That's why they introduce him as like the king and the don of crowd work or whatever. That's, he got that way. What I understood or heard was because he emceed so much in New York City. Like that's how you get good is being an MC, a host in New York City. That's what makes him so strong. But those comments about what they were saying about the comics and stuff was hysterical. Oh, I have to check it out. Yeah, you got to listen to it. It's awesome. So here's the thing. Anthony on his show, did you watch that video? He claimed that he like uh, never like pushed Opie out of his life. He's like, I'm open to working with him if he wants to come join my network. Right. And then Opie actually retweeted that and was like, well, this came out of left field. And that has like a ton of retweets and uh, people commenting saying, I would love to hear ONA get back together. See, that's why... I don't believe it's real because... Dude, it is real. Why would you have that discussion over Twitter? Because they don't talk in real life. So for them, doing doing it through social media, doing it through YouTube and Twitter is a less... It's not so direct of a... It's not like picking up the phone and saying, hey, why don't we do this? Because they're not on talking terms. That would be like if you and I were having an argument and we left and went to a mall and did it in the middle of the mall <laughs> and not look at each other and go, you know what I was thinking about her? You know what he did? Like, I, I just, I'm sorry. I mean, I take your word for it, but I just don't think that professional things like that are discussed over Twitter without... It a- is real, though. Really? Yes, because... For Anthony to pick up the phone and call Opie, it would take a lot of, you know, I guess humility for, for one person to call the other. So that's why it's when oh. you have such a big following and yeah. you could make a YouTube video and get tons of hits on it and have the fans t- tell you, yes, you guys should get back together. I mean, they might do it. Yeah. Because whatever, depending on like how much Sirius is offering Opie, and if Opie joins Anthony, Anthony would get his numbers up. Yeah. It's just but like... Then Op- but then Opie would have to be like, I need open books. Like, I need to see how many subscribers you're getting, so I'm not getting screwed. Right. It's just like it's just like Donald Trump saying at the end of the debate the other day, I was going to say something about her husband's indiscretions, but I didn't. I took the high road. Oh, my God. Now he's got everyone thinking he's going to do it. So everyone's watching just to see him act like an asshole. You know, it's just going to get the ratings up. I, I think he, that's all he is. He, I don't even think he wants to be president. I think if he wins, he's going to be like, just kidding. I don't really want to be president because it's too yeah. much. Sorry, just kidding. He's just he's never just mind. the guy who wants attention. I know. And not really be a politician. No. He just wants to win. That's too much pressure. You're the leader of the free world. Come on. I think somebody probably challenged him one night. Hey, I bet you could be president. And he's like, want to watch me? And then he just he just accepted the challenge. Oh, my God. So I was, where are your notes? Because I noticed that's important. I was listening to your show. <laughs> <laughs> you said people were getting upset because they didn't have notes. Well, I'm just kidding. I don't need notes for you. You don't need notes for me. <laughs> I have notes for you. Let me look at my notes. Oh, so Michael Panzika is sitting here with me. Oh, you listened to the Bill Oakley episode? Yes. With your sister. Yeah. Hysterical. Best line of the whole podcast. Why weren't you at the World Trade Center during 9-11? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's when he wanted to walk out? 
I think that's when he said, I'm not going to go into that anymore. Yeah. He was actually, I think he was nervous. I think he was afraid people were going to start to believe the hype. Well, but, we were obviously joking. I know, but what's funny is you guys were talking about The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. And you go, it's so weird. It's like as if it predicted future events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, it, but like they, Simpsons was Nostradamus all of a sudden. No, but they have predicted the future. Right, I know. They're just smart like that, They're though. They're smart. And they can foresee like technology going a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was a good interview. What... what what did he look like? What when did you ever stop? Or did you just keep going or the whole time? He just I mean, he just seemed annoyed with us. <laughs> <laughs> I think he said at the end something like, I think we've done enough now. I know. I think we've done enough. I was like, whoa. And then you rescued him. Because she was, she, your sister was asking questions. And then he said, I think we've done enough. And you're like, okay, I think he wants to go now. Yeah. That was an abrupt ending. Oh, it was it was awesome. I mean, wonder what, what he knows you. What did he expect? I think it was too confrontational. Yeah. Or I was like, if you get upset that we're asking about 9-11, it makes you look guilty. <laughs> Right? He couldn't play along. <laughs> he was his head was spinning like where is this coming from? Oh my god, that's the dangers of accepting to do my podcast without I know. I well I listened to that and I thought about it. I'm like, no, I'll be fine. <laughs> you can you can handle your own. Yeah. So um what was the name of your one man show? Stand up for recovery. Stand up for recovery. Because you've been working with recovering Right. Or you yourself is, are a recovering addict. Right. Uh, th- what were you addicted to? Uh, everything. Heroin? No, never that. I was 19 years old, and I had a lot of problems in high school with uh, drugs and alcohol. And then I um, got in trouble and got sober and then um, started working in the field as a counselor. And then came down here and while I was doing that I started doing comedy as a hobby and then I wrote this one man show called Stand Up for Recovery uh-huh. and I'd only been doing comedy for like three or four years Wow! And um, but Ronnie was a big supporter of that that's, that's what he liked about me I think because back then because he uh, can relate to you on that aspect yeah I think he related to a lot of what I talked about and then um, so we did a show and he's like and I had, I had maybe, another, th- maybe that's what I'm fucking up I need to be a recovering addict not an addict <laughs> Why are you saying that? You're not fucking up. <laughs> because then, then you could like have more friends. <laughs> you recovery addicts have way more friends than addicts do. Yeah. Because addicts, we just go around pissing everybody off, and yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Eventually, you, you know, end up because alone. you guys, you guys bond on that, and you guys go to meetings and yeah. check up on each other. I mean, it was like that for a long time. I don't, you know, I'm not that much into it now. I work at a treatment center helping addicts. And um, I really love that. We use music. I got to get you in there sometime. But basically, these guys, 21, 22, 23, they're all addicted to heroin and they're dying. I mean, I've had five people in the last two months die that I knew. Oh, my God. Yeah, that I sat in a room with and talked to, you know, like, oh. and then they get an email that they died, whatever. Isn't that the worst? I hate it when people email you that somebody died. Yeah. Can I just find out by a human calling me on the phone? Yeah. Like the old times? 
And when I sit there and group with them and they're like, why are you so, cause I don't, I don't let go. I don't give, I'm really hard. Like I'm really in, intense about it. I'm mm-hmm. telling them like, you got to do this. You got to do that. And, um, they go, why are you, why are you so intense? I go, cause I see dead people. <laughs> You're like Haley Joel Osment. <laughs> I see dead You're in people. my office right now and I know that if you do that you're probably going to die. I mean, I've been around this for 30 years, you know. I know what works and what doesn't so work. So you take the tough love approach. I do, but I'm all, I mean, I'm also funny, you know. I can I run the big groups like the open mics, we have musicians, we have comedy. Oh my god. My students. I'll um, come by. Yeah, you should come would by. I'd love to. Yeah, we uh I use I use the arts. I've Will always they mind liked if it. I'm high on weed? <laughs> you probably shouldn't do that. Although, <laughs> although we did have who's that guy? Dollar, Dollar, the rapper, or whatever. Who? Dollar. I don't know, but he came in. Fifty Cent. And he he came in, and to talk to it, and he goes, I admit I smoke pot every day or whatever. It wasn't about that. That was about the music, you know. And for me, it's not even about the drugs or the alcohol. It's about quality of life. These people, these kids. I think what's killing them more than anything is their parents. They're not letting them grow up. They're not letting them go get self-esteem and self-worth. They're treating them like children, and they have no skills. Into their 20s. Into their 20s, and they're 26 and 27, and they're living at home. And they have no, they can't deal with anxiety. Do you think it's their parents' fault? I think they're contributing to it not getting better. I think a lot of parents do coddle their kids nowadays. It's like you don't even see kids playing outside anymore. It's kind of like that research paper. You wish you just had like one more day to work on it. Well, they see their kid and they're like, I wish I just had one more year to get this kid together. And a lot of parents, they just want to hold on to their kids yeah. because if their kids leave, then they're, then they gotta look who at are their, they? They, they got to look at their spouse. They got to reinvent themselves. They have to look at their spouse who they haven't talked to in 15, 18 years and go, oh, who are you? Because everything's about the kid. Everything's about the kid. And then when the kid goes away, they have each other. And they haven't talked to each other about anything except the kid for all that time. So they call the kid to see how the kid's doing. And the kid's doing fine. So, yeah. So that that was what the show was about. I think that's why Ronnie was so supportive because of that. Oh, totally. Yeah, he was all about it. And um, it was So great. when you guys do group therapy, you go around and you share stories of the worst moment in your life? or I design groups uh, i'm the creative programming manager there and i design groups that are like group but they don't feel like a group so we have an open mic right and i go around beforehand and i give them assignments like i want you to write a song about your life a year from now what would your life be like or if you wrote an if you made an album what would the title of the album be you know and what would some of the songs be on the album or like you know, I have a courtroom, recovery court. You put them on trial for whether they're doing well or not, and they get into it. So I, everything That's so I, fun. You yeah. you make it interactive, totally, rather than just everybody go around telling sad stories. Yeah, and when we sit around, I mean, we talk. It's always you have to make it fun. They're twenties, you know. They you have to make it fun. They got to be able to laugh. They pretty much. I say I comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable. Some people need to cry. Some people need to stop crying. Some people need to start laughing. You know, some people need to stop being so serious and get. Not everybody needs the same thing, and I'm pretty good at figuring that out. Yeah. Because I'm both too. I mean, I'm a comedian, and I'm also a counselor, and I I deal with depression and have my whole life, but I also, you know, know how to have a good time and be fun. These yeah. kids must love you. I think they, I think, you know, yeah, they do. But you know what's weird, though? I've been doing it so long back in the day. 
when I was in my 20s, they all saw me more as a peer. Now I meet them and they're like, you know, they especially the guys to like hate me, like from the beginning because they heard about me or whatever. Like, oh, Penzika, he's going to get on you. He's going to, he's not going to. So they come in all ready for me, right? But I also remember, I realize now that I remind them of their dads who they all oh. hate. And they and then they'll show me a picture. Go, dude. Sorry, I was so rude to you. But here, here's a picture of my dad. You look just like him, and I hate him. So it's not anything personal. No, it's not. Yeah. They 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 hate. They don't hate me. They they're afraid of me. And then they're like, you can tell who comes to my group because they're the ones that are serious. They're like, all right, I'm ready. That's the same thing I say to Asian guys. Don't be offended that I don't fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> you remind me of my dad. <laughs> So, well, yeah, what is that? Is that what you don't like Asian guys? No, because I had a bad experience with my dad. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's like if you see your dad treating your mom poorly or treating right. you poorly and not even communicating with you. I was listening to NPR. What is that one NPR show? Not NPR. This American Life. Oh, yeah. I love that show. And he was talking to this uh, Chinese guy who'd never, his parents never taught him Chinese. He didn't communicate with his dad. They lived in the same house. They'd never spoken to each other. He moved to China, and now they have a translator, and he wrote him a letter. But that's how a lot of Asian guys are. So you attribute it to his ethnicity. ethnicity. He, that, you attributed it to him being Asian? Yeah. Because, not just the male? Right. I blamed everything on that because we weren't in an Asian neighborhood. <laughs> I was like, look at Katie. She gets along with her dad, not me. <laughs> It's those Asians. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, I'm going to stop by your, your therapy. Good. I, you know, I've, I've done like one-on-one -on -one therapy, but I've never done group therapy. I've been to an Al-Anon meeting. Right. A couple of those. I, I would love to do group therapy. Yeah, well, we'll have you. What we'll do is I'll set it up. You'll come in and um, we have guests come in. Like we have Richie Super from Aerosmith and actually Steven Tyler from Aerosmith is is involved and he's coming in he's came he's come in a few times oh cool and we have like local people i think a lot of them know who you are a lot of the kids probably know who you are because i mention your name sometimes they're like oh you know her i'm like yeah i remember uh tim kirby when uh he was doing a show somewhere and i was gonna get you to come uh-huh and i go yeah i'll get esther Koo to come and he's like yeah like you know esther Koo. <laughs> i'm like I know that, Esther Is that Koo. so unbelievable? <laughs> I know Esther Koo. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, right. Yeah, sure you do. I go, I know Esther Koo. You know what? I was on my flight back from Portland. I sat in between these two girls. And one girl who's like a comedy freak. Like she goes mm. to see comedy shows and listens to Doug's podcast and everything. And then this other girl, she had known me from Girl Code. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and they're like, hey, we know you. I was just listening to you on Doug Loves Movies. Man, now people are starting to know me. Yeah. It's cool. People know you. And then when I tell them I know you, they don't believe me. <laughs> I guess that's the illusion of TV. Yeah. But it's like, we're just, I'm just whatever. I remember, yeah, I remember when we, how did we first meet? At a show here yeah. somewhere. And then I remember when you got the girl code thing and then, yeah. Oh, um, we did. We did that uh, Sopranos dueling piano bar. Oh, yeah. Beach place. That would have been a great. In Fort Lauderdale? Yeah. That yeah. would have been a great room. But it's so hard. They just think 
club owners just think like you can just put a show in there and then people just come you know that that whole place was dying for a while it was never full yeah you have to spend money to market it and to advertise it yeah you have to do it consistently for a while until it gets a reputation, you get some regulars who come back all the time. Or some people think they're just, well, why don't you tweet it? Why don't you tweet it and yeah. people will come? You yeah. can't just rely on my, your followers right. to carry the promotional weight. Right. Right? You have to, like, advertise yeah. Yeah. and promote it yourself. You have to make it. You have to build hype. That's not my job is to promote the show that you hired me to do. That's right. That's your business. That's right. Your job is to put people in here. My job is to entertain them. So. Should we tell people your arson story? <laughs> <laughs> well, we kind of already did. Yeah, you like the story? We didn't tell it yet. What do you mean? Well, you just said it. What? The attic stuff? No, arson. Now what? everybody's like, yes, yeah. Tell the story. <laughs> should we tell people about the arson or should we not mention it, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> tell people how you committed arson. Okay. So, wow, it sounds harsh when you say that. I look at it more as... Vandalism with fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's the politically correct term. Arsonists don't like to be called that. No. Stop my apologies. No, it's, it's politically incorrect. You were uh, doing a campfire in the wrong place at the wrong time. I was smoking a building and I lit it like a cigarette. But um, How did that... It was, it was a bad time in my life. I was 19 years old. I was just broke up with a girl. I was going through a hard time and got introduced to Angel Dust, which is PCP. Mm-hmm. And I was smoking it with the band. And I remember they kept saying, dude, don't, you know, go easy, man. You're, you never did this before. Anyway, I got outside of this bar and I, um, I got mad and I started, or I called this girl that I met like a few weeks ago and a guy answered the phone. And I remember I hung up the phone and I went over to this door and I just started punching this door. It was a building across the street from the bar. And then my hands were bleeding. And then I went in and to my car, I had an axe in the trunk. Everybody goes, why? <laughs> <laughs> Red flag. Me, me, I say, of course. I was camping and I had, or somebody went camping and they, I lent it to them. They just sure. gave it back. I had mm-hmm. an axe in my trunk and I went over to this door and chopped the door down with an axe while people were watching me. Wait, uh, whose door? It was it was a store. It was a, it was an eyeglass place. You just randomly picked an eyeglass store? Yeah, well, it was there in the parking lot where uh-huh. my car was. It was like we parked across the street. And it was a strip. And like you don't sh- even wear glasses or contacts. No, no. And it was so I just, from the eyeglass and you know contact wearing community. It was, that, it was Let because me say, the door was you. painted black, and I used to listen to the Rolling Stones all the time, painted black. Like when I go back and dissect the whole event, I was crazy. I mean, I was everything that triggered. Any emotion in me, I attacked. Like even the cars that I smashed the windows in later on, I could see that it had some relationship to my life. Like PCP causes temporary psychosis. But anyway, uh-huh. so I went so in you there. Were hearing voices? No, I wasn't hearing voices, but I was being irrational. And I went in there and I started smashing, just breaking shit. I really didn't. Want, I chopped the door down. I kicked it down. The strength is amazing. There was no alarm. No. And yeah. I just went in there and I started wrecking things. And then I was a stack of papers on the fo- on the floor. You were the first wrecking ball. Yeah. <laughs> and I just caught the stack of papers on fire. I did not mean for the whole building to catch on fire. Wait, you, you lit a stack of papers on fire? On, on fire. purpose? Yes. Uh-huh. And then the next thing I know, I went into the other room. And when I came back into that room, the whole floor had caught fire. I think because they just like waxed it or something. 
So the floor was catching oh. on fire. The walls were catching on fire. What did There's, they wax it with? Uh, I don't know. I don't know why the floor caught on fire, but I had to run through the fly, fire to get out. Holy shit. And then when I got outside. You almost died. Yeah. Oh, I was trapped in a burning building. <gasps> oh, my God. And I remember all I kept thinking was, I don't want my hair to catch on fire. That's all I kept thinking. <laughs> Isn't that all we really care yeah. about is our hair? I had long, gorgeous hair. I was like, I don't want my hair to catch on fire. Uh-huh. And then I got outside and I... um. I rolled a joint and smoked it and watched the place, the fire start coming out. And then I went and smashed some windshields on some cars. Then I ran to the police station, which was a block this away. This is all triggered from the you calling this girl yeah, who had a boyfriend. Which made sense because, I mean, it, from a lot of, th- from some therapy, I realized that because uh, my mom used to cheat on my dad and I knew about it and I didn't do you know i never told anybody so like it just triggered you know here's this girl who's trying to hook up with me and she's got a boyfriend oh and i was and that just it snapped you know what i mean yeah all those years okay now that makes sense yeah yeah a little bit of therapy thank god they had good psychiatrists in prison but um so then um so then i went to the police station i reported it because i didn't i I was like i felt terrible i was like i'm so sorry you know, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't say I didn't mean to do it. I go, but I'll help put it out if you want. And then <gasps> wait, wait, who did you tell that to? The police. Oh, so you stayed at the... I ran the police you station. Sta- you said there's a at fire. The scene at the- and I stayed at the scene and was like, you know, then I drove away. You turned yourself in, basically. Le- not right then, but later I did. That night I drove away and I got a- they pulled me over because I was on the sidewalk. Do you regret turning yourself in? No. Changed my life. Mm-hmm. Look, if I... I think... I, if somebody hadn't intervened into my life at that point, I would have either really hurt somebody with, by accident. Like anybody could have got hurt that night. You know, what if like it was? If, a, what if there was some homeless man just outside the What if it was a real door? house or something? What if? What if when I was swinging that axe, somebody tried to stop me? What if somebody was doing their accounting back in the warehouse? Whatever. Yeah, I mean, so the, I was so grateful that nobody got hurt, and it freaked me out right. so bad. Right, at least. Your arson didn't turn into murder by right. accident or I manslaughter. I was so grateful for that. And when they yeah. put the handcuffs on me and I turned myself in, I felt like, thank God. Because nobody knew I had a problem because I was so quiet. And I wasn't like a violent person or a loud person. I was a really reserved person. Mm-hmm. But I was miserable. And I was it was a cry for help. And I didn't know what to do about it. So I went into treatment and, um, you know, got help, got sober, went to jail, went to prison. Which Ronnie always loves this part because he asked me about it when I was up there. I was at where they filmed Shawshank Redemption, the movie, mm-hmm. and I got out. Oh, be- that's the jail you got sentenced to. Yeah. What's the j- What's the name of the jail? Mansfield. In where? In Cleveland. It's near Cleveland, Ohio. Uh huh. So I did that, and then I did, I did my time, and I got out, became a counselor, and and the, you know it changed my life. And everybody talks about like even today when they got a client, they're like, oh, he's so young, she's so young. I go. That's the easiest time to change. I don't know why. You can get them. It's easier to get They're like, oh, he's only had one treatment. How many treatments does he need? How many times do you want to go to the fifth grade? I mean, they're teaching the same thing, you know? Yeah. So it changed my life. It really did. Now, I don't think that it meant that everything was fine after you give up drugs and alcohol. Actually, all the issues you have in your life that you're not dealing with become bigger Mm -hmm. because you weren't dealing with them. So I went to a lot of therapy and... Did a lot of work on myself. So you had free therapy in prison? I mean, I was just joking, but actually I remember when I went to the psychiatrist, because I would sign up for everything just to get out of my cell. 
you could sign up for meetings, you could sign up for choir, you could sign up for church. I signed up for anything I could just to get out Hell of my yeah. cell. And I went to see the shrink and I was like, look, let me ask you a question. Why did I do this? What is wrong with me? I mean, why did I do this? And he told me, he said, you were like a rubber band. You ever see a rubber band get really tight? Eventually it snaps. He said, you had all this stuff building up in you for years and years and years. You didn't know who to tell. And then one day you were just like, oh, you want to see how pissed off I am? You want to see crazy? I'll show you. Plus the angel dust, you mm -hmm. know, and the alcohol and the cocaine all mixed together. Yeah. I just kind of said, fuck it. I just said, you want to see how I really feel? Let me show you. I was done. I didn't care if I lived or died. I didn't care about anything. I remember that night I left the house and I said, tonight something's going to happen. It's going to change everything. I didn't know if it was going to be positive or negative, but I just couldn't well, live Well, you like left that. the house feeling that. Yeah. Tonight's going to change everything. Before you accidentally yeah. set it on fire? Yeah. I didn't know what. I just said, tonight's going to be a different night. Holy shit. And it became massive. Yeah. Wow. So who paid for the damage of that eyeglass store? Well, it was insurance paid for it. Um, and, you know, I went to court. I tried to, I offered to like, you know, pay yeah, did, they, did they sue you no, for the money? No, just insurance paid for it. Uh -huh. I went to court. I went to jail. You know, I paid my dues. And that's why I don't really feel bad about it afterwards. Like, hey, you know, I got sentenced to one to 10 years, which means I could be like 19 or 20 when I get out or I could be 30. And how much did you One serve? year. Because I was wow. like, a, I was a great inmate. <laughs> wow. That's when I found out I was smart. Like I went to college in there. That was my first college experience. Mm -hmm. And my teachers were like, you know, you're pretty smart. You could go to any school you want. I go, yeah, but this is like prison college. They're like, no, this is the same college that you would go to out there. And you could go to any school you want because of your writings. I could tell that you're really smart. And then I found out I learned. I mean, I was 19, you know, so I learned a lot about myself. That was positive, and I liked being a good person again. You probably learned more in that one year of prison than most kids totally. do in college. Totally. That's why when people try to get people to not go to jail, I mean, you know, everything, look, it worked out well for me. I know prisons are terrible, but I do believe in the power of people experiencing the natural consequences of their actions. And, you know, like life, when I was studying psychology, I was also studying physics, and I think they're the same. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And when you interfere with that process with people, and it, it fucks them up in the head. Like, these addicts are dying, right? And then they get brought back with Narcan. So when you try to scare one of these kids with an addiction problem, and you go, you're going to die, they look at you and go, I already did three times. You know? And they've come back they've to life. They've come back to life. So how do you scare them? They've seen the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you know? So, but sometimes jail is what people need. I, th I think we, when you get in the way of people's consequences, we, we mess with their head. If somebody would have got me out of trouble in that situation, I, I think I would have, I don't think it would have had the if somebody impact. Somebody enabled you. Yeah. If I, cause every day I woke up and that's in that place going, how did I get here? I want to make sure. Don't this you feel like when you wake up in a jail cell, don't you feel like uh, an animal in the zoo? Like you have no freedom. And you're in this metal, yes. metal. And the two most important things in my life today are my freedom and my privacy. But yes. Well, we're about to invade that privacy right now. <laughs> <laughs> so did anybody try to rape you? Um, I mean, you're a young boy. There must have been older men who were like, look at this, go look at so this fresh funny. meat walking down the cell I, oh, hall. It was it, nobody tried. OK, here's what happened. I was lucky. My counselor did 11 years in Sing Sing. 
So I used to karaoke there. Sing sing. (laughs) (laughs) Sing song. So anyway, so he did time and we realized I was going to go to prison. We and him were realistic. Everybody else was like, oh, you'll probably get out of it. I'm like, no, I'm probably going. And he taught me how to do it. He said, here's what you do. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Like, don't hang out with other people. Don't make friends with anybody. Don't borrow anything. Don't lend anything. Don't sell anything. So, yeah, I was a pretty boy at 19 years old. And um, Well, you had long hair? I had, at that point, I had long hair. I had longish hair. I actually looked like, people thought I looked like Jim Morrison. Dude, if I were you, I would have cut my hair because from the back, you look like a girl. I Yeah, well, I had this long, curly hair, and like do cut it when you come in there. That's the first thing they do, like cut your hair. And um, so uh, people would whistle. It was scary, man. It was like, yeah. They were, I remember the first day in the chow hall, I put my tray up on the, on the thing, and this big black guy behind the thing was like giving me my food. He goes, he goes, where do you want it, baby? I said, on the tray, motherfucker. What do you think I want it? He goes, no, I'm not talking about that. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, he, go, he goes, I'm going to fuck you. And I go, really? And I leaned up, I go, like, come here, like I whispered in his ear, like I was going to whisper something. And I took my metal tray and I smashed him in the face <gasps> and knocked him on the ground. And they took me and threw me in the hole. That was like my first day there. And um, That's what you have to do your first day. Yeah, there. and the guards came. Yeah, the guard came, The white, this white guard. That was a 90% black prison. And I was in a white, I was obviously a white guy. And um, the guards came and they said, go back to your cell. I saw what happened. You did the right thing. And... Little things like that would happen where nobody fucked with me after that. And then the I guard, got another fight. Guards didn't fight. like write you up or anything? No. No. And then I got another fight with somebody and it lasted like two seconds. And that's when the Boom Boom Mancini was big and they started calling me Boom Boom Panzeca. Fights don't last like in the movies. I don't know who Mancini is. Is he a Boom fighter? Boom Mancini was this Italian guy who actually killed in the ring back in that time, that back in 81. I think it was a Korean boxer. And I remember we were like screaming, whatever, yeah, kill him, kill him. You know, we didn't really want him to kill him, but he, he hit him so hard he killed the guy. The guy died in the ring. Oh, from yeah. Boxing. That's why I don't like Italian food. So they, st- <laughs> so they started calling me Boom Boom Panzeca because fights don't last. Like like in the movies, they're big, drawn out. They don't last like that. They were just. And then what I did is I minded my own business. I, I studied. I worked out. I minded my own business. I just did not get involved in other people's bullshit. And I got it when I got to Lebanon, which was the rest of the time, they give you a test to see how smart you are. And then they came and they said, you're pretty smart. They go, "Uh, where do you want to work? We need clerks. I go, where do you have air conditioning? They said, the library. And I said, I want that job. So I worked in the library. And because I was in the library, I had access to books, music, and stuff like no, that. No, the library is the best place yeah. to work in a so jail. So people wanted books and music. I would hook them up. Your clientele are also more highbrow yeah. than the rest of the people yeah. who are just on the basketball court. Yeah. And I got, I just got serious about life. And um, yeah, it was great. It was, a, I don't regret it at all. You know, it was, it was a good, now I'm not really scared of much either. Yeah, if you've already lived through yeah. a year of jail at 19 looking like Jim Morrison. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. And you also teach comedy. Oh, I teach comedy at the Improv, which is another 
huge undertaking because first of all, I'm kind of one of these people that doesn't think you can do that. Right. But I've been doing it a while and you know, when you're watching a comic, you think to yourself, maybe uh, he probably could have done that or do this or whatever. Right. Or you do it to yourself. So I'm teaching at the improv. And oh, I do it to myself. I get these people that have never done stand-up before. They want to do it. I have five weeks mm-hmm. to get them five minutes to perform at the show. And you saw they did pretty good. Yeah. You were there, right? Yeah, it was like yeah. a full house. Yeah, well, that was part of that was because of the open mic. I think, it, well, that was a good show. Yeah, we had a lot of people there. But they did, they were funny. And I don't really know how, I just basically get them up there and ask them a lot of questions like you're asking me. And I get them to talk about their life. And and then when I, I f- help them find the funny, mm-hmm. you know, or I get them mad at me. I just start arguing with them while they're on stage. I walk around in the back with a microphone and then they get up on stage. I'm like, well, why is that? And then when they get mad, they're like, because I said so, bitch, or whatever, you know, that's when they get funny, when they get mad. Yeah. I actually have a 15-year-old girl right now in my class. She's killing it. And the, I had a 19-year-old girl. And, you know, some people are just naturally funny. And then you have some people that are really not funny or they think they are and they're not. Those are the hardest ones. Yeah. Or people that are. That's what Anthony Cumia should do to get the 15-year-old girls to start a comedy school. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Cumia School of Broadcasting. <laughs> Why, does he like 15-year-old girls? Yes. He does? Yeah. <laughs> You know that Richard Pryor movie? He's a he was being arrested for something. I forget what the name of the movie is, but he went to jail. And he goes, "Your Honor, I'll do I'll do community service. I'll volunteer at a teenage. Uh, I'll I'll suppose so I'll volunteer for a teenage girl. Who's I'll, I'll I'll cook for teenage girls. Richard Pryor. Uh, yeah, some some guy he played in a movie. What was that movie? So why do you say he likes fifteen year olds? Oh, it's like. Because he's common knowledge. Yeah, because he talks about it on the air. Really? Yeah. Wow. Openly. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's not smart, is it? <laughs> It'd be kind of hard. You get accused of something. They're like, "Well, yesterday on the radio, you were talking about this." Yeah. So, um, yeah, I feel like this is getting really serious. Is this supposed to be funny? I like getting serious. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Right. All right. That's yeah. right. I remember. You didn't want, you like getting serious. I'm not afraid to make you cry. <laughs> You're not going to make <laughs> me cry. Although I think you are going for that. Oh, no, 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 yeah. no, no. Not at all. Yeah. No, I know that we, we used to do a show together. Yeah. And you've talked about all this openly. I just yeah. wanted. It was great, that show. You I just wanted to, to get. Yes, it's on Planet Platypus. It's called the Mikey and Koo Show, right? Mikey and Koo. Mikey and Koo Show. There are still episodes up online. And you also did a motorcycle tour. Yeah. I Last year, I went to Sturgis, South Dakota. Mm-hmm. I rode 6,000 miles on a motorcycle. That was just to How ride. How do you... Do you have, like, a space to put, like, a backpack of underwear? Oh, yeah. Like, okay. So, I have a Softail Deluxe, Harley Softail Deluxe. And then I have a... I have a detachable windshield. So, when I go on a trip, I put the windshield on. When I, I have a seat with a backrest and a bag that slides on there the luggage was yeah i got bungee cords you know you figure it all out they make luggage for motorcycles you know do they okay cool yeah and um actually with that stuff on there it was pretty comfortable ride last year i rode to sturgis and i wanted to do some comedy and i kind of put it together too late and then this year i went to laconia new hampshire and i reached out to ronnie 
emailed him and said, look, I'm doing this thing. What about this? And he said, yeah, you know, call her for intero bang. And they put it on there and, and I was going to do all these clubs and write about it, but I only got to do a few clubs, but I got to do some spots in New York city because of Sheba. And, um, but I rode from, we went from Fort, uh, Fort Lauderdale to Orlando. Actually, we, we were in Orlando, like right before that shooting. Oh so, my God. Like a week before. So we're in Orlando. Then we went to North Carolina and my parents have these timeshares, right? So they're hooking me up with these places to stay, which are great places, but not really like just overnight. Like you have, we had to go into the mountains. They're like resorts. Wow. So, so we're riding sometimes in the rain, in the mountains at night. It's like, it was, it was challenging at times. So I rather would have just stayed. I would have rather just stayed, I think, right off the interstate. So you just get up and get back on. Mm -hmm. So because it, it, it took a lot of, to get to those places. So we went to North Carolina and then we went to Cincinnati, where I'm from, and stayed with my family. And do, then you think, we do you think when you pull up somewhere on a motorcycle, because you're like this tough guy, you know, you're wearing a Metallica T-shirt and you're riding this Harley. Are people ever scared of you because you're like because people have this stereotype? Apparently, which I I don't realize that. Like I can I understand with the motorcycle and all that and the leathers and. Right, people treat you differently when you get out of your car than when you get off your oh, motorcycle, totally. right? Yeah, totally. Like they walk to the other side of the street, or they get they clench up, or they put their purse around their shoulder, or what? Uh, I think they just kind of sit back and watch and see if there's going to be trouble, because there's there's different kind of bikers. There's guys that are really bikers that are, you know, in gangs and clubs and stuff that have something to prove. And who in the gang? Yeah, you're part of my gang now. Yeah. And then there's guys that just ride that enjoy riding Harleys and aren't going to start anything. The great thing is when you see other bikers, though, there's like an instant bond. Mm -hmm. You just wave. It's kind like, of like when I had a white boyfriend and I would see other Asian girls with white boyfriends, we'd be like, yo, what's up? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I bet you can't ride him 6,000 miles. So, <laughs> so, but so we went, so we went to New Hampshire, Laconia. So my, my friend Frankie, I don't you probably met him, but um so we rode. I saw my family in Cincinnati, then we went to Cleveland, then Buffalo, Niagara Falls, New York City, um, stayed in the city for four or five days, and then rode back down. And this trip it rained a lot. But I didn't get as many clubs. Next year I'm gonna plan it, you know, I'm gonna really have gigs set up. I really thought it would be easy. I thought I could just go, Hey man, I'm coming to your city. Do you know any rooms that I could do? I don't even care about paid gigs. Just I want to have something to write about for the, you know, the blog. Oh, right. And something to talk about on the show. So mm -hmm. I really didn't have anything by the time I got there. And I mean, your place is going to get recognition on Sirius XM radio because I'm going to talk about it. Right. And I, I, people just weren't biting. So I'm not the greatest promoter in the world either. I mean. I sent it out to everybody I knew. I There's kind of an inverse relationship with sometimes with the better the comedian you are, you're probably bad at promoting yourself. I and suck. the comedians that are really good at promoting themselves usually suck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And sometimes that makes me keep my promoting game down because I'm like, I'm a better comedian than yeah. promoter. Yeah. You know, I, I just don't, you know, I just wanted to build all the, you know, I got, it was much better this year. I think next year will be better. I'll plan it out. I don't know where I'll go. I mean, the people in South Dakota, because there's a big, I mean, when there was a million bikes there, a million people in South Dakota at the bike thing, and they have entertainment. 
and I'm kind of thinking, why don't I do like bike, like comedy for the bikers and stuff like that, you know, like plan this thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still working on it. It was a great trip. It was taxing though. I mean, at some point you're just like, why am I doing this, man? Because you're just, the wind is just blowing on you. Yeah. You're just outside way too much. Too much. Like what are, like at, at, at what state did you get to? Oh. And you're like, fuck this motorcycle tour. Yeah. And you just want a hot shower and, and a hotel room. cars that are closed. And comfortable and, and they comfortable have the AC on. And they're drinking a water and, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's. Although you get a high and then you get like a, oh, this sucks. But you just have to do it. You just keep going. And they, I just want to do it where I don't have to be anywhere. Like, I, I don't want to have to be somewhere. You know, and Frankie, he like gets up real early in the morning. He wants to go. I like to take my time, drink my coffee, you know, take my time, whatever. But um, it's it's beautiful, especially going out west. Because when you're going out west, I don't know if you've ever driven out west. Yeah. Cross country. The mountains and... No, when you see mountains, it's like, why don't I live here? It's fucking beautiful. Yeah, we went into into Colorado and um, stayed with um, Liz Farron. You know Liz? No. She was a comedian. She still is. Actually, she's coming to town pretty soon. But she has a restaurant. I did comedy there. But we stayed in the mountains and just... But when you go out west, it's like the sky just opens up. And I mean, literally, for miles, you cannot see anything. Like, not a telephone pole, not a tree, just grass. That's it. And you're free. And it's just like, it's a big country, man. It's big, beautiful, wide open space. And then you you get to a gas station, you stop in, you get some gas, you hang out, you talk to the locals. I love that. Yeah, that's so much fun. That's fun. That's fun. That was fun. And there was no rain until... Have Have you, like, ever gotten into like an accident on your bike no except all the only time i've only come almost come close is when i ride with other people more than like frankie's fine but when you get with these guys and they're all riding together like it only takes one guy to wipe out everybody why because you're you're riding close Mm -hmm. so if one bike goes down you know like he's gonna wipe out domino effect yeah totally that's why i don't like riding with other guys I like riding by myself, but I've never had an accident and because um, I'm careful. That's what I like about it, too. When I ride, that's all I think about. But not to say that every motorcycle accident is the fault of the motorcycle driver. Sometimes people driving cars drive crazy around motorcycles, right? Right. And that's why you're right. That's why I ride like I'm invisible and people are trying to kill me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't take anything for granted. Like, a green light does not mean the other people are going to stop. Yeah, you still have to look. Yeah. I, if I have my turn signal on, it doesn't mean they see it. I just don't take anything for granted. I and hate I, those motorcycle guys who just go right past you like so fast. The, the crotch rockets, the cafe racer. Oh, cars. my God. And then they're so fucking loud. Why are they so much louder than other motorcycles? I don't know. But that makes me, it bothers me too because you think you're going to see them on the side of the road up, up ahead any minute. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty disturbing. And I used to tell those guys, because they would be in my class when I owned Comedy Traffic School, they used to be in my class and be like, dude, that's fine. You want to go fast? Go to a track. Go to a track and race your motorcycle. This, the high, Interstate 95 is not made, 595 is not made for that. Yeah. It, all it takes is an animal or a piece of debris on the Anything. road. Anything. Are you kidding me? Know. You know what scared me the whole ride? This is what makes it not fun. Deer. 
like all it takes is a suicidal deer to jump out of or a dumb deer (laughs) i don't think i don't think they're and i saw deer like look like you could see their eyes in the side like you know is he gonna because sometimes they just dart out in front of you and on a motorcycle that's it you're done holy shit so that's not fun so you try not to go like at dusk and dawn that's when they kind of come out and they'll just walk across the road from Uh, dusk to dawn yeah they just walk across the road you You know what my dad wanted a motorcycle but my mom wouldn't let him get it what kind did he want I don't know, but he just wanted to ride a motorcycle and he had five kids and my mom was like, you are not riding a motorcycle. Yeah, if I had kids, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I wouldn't do How it. How many kids do you got? Me? Yeah. None. <laughs> no kids. That you, that you know of. No children. Didn't you knock somebody up on a cruise ship once? I didn't knock her up. <laughs> what a night. Oh my God. No, but you got banned from a cruise ship gig one time? Yeah, I got... Well, no, I was working for Carnival Cruise Lines for like 12 years. And this girl kept coming to my shows, and she was always there, and she'd come up to me after my show and be like, oh, you're really funny, I really like your show. I'm like, oh, thanks. So the last night of the cruise, she comes up, she's like, so, uh, you think we could meet for a drink later? And I go, well, I'm going to go to the crew bar right now, but maybe I'll meet you up here later. So, um, So then... I felt I literally was in the crew bar thinking about her and I was like, I feel bad, you know, like she's up there and I said I would come up. I should go up there. So I went up. And Don't I, feel bad. I you know. should have just went home not feeling bad. I know. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So I went up there and she's talking to me and she's trying to make out with me. And I'm like, look, I can't. I'm not allowed. Security's watching me and we're not Security's allowed to hook- watching you. <laughs> we're not allowed to hook up with guests. So then. This other girl came over and they were talking about hooking up with each other, with me there. And I was like, guys, stop. I'm always weirded out when people talk about hooking up. Yeah. Because you're not supposed to talk about it. No. You're just supposed to hook up. That's what I. So anybody who's talking about it, they're just. You know what? That's what I teach people in my comedy class, too. Like, I go, when you do a joke, like, don't telegraph the punchline. That's like telling somebody, like, when you go, is this funny? That's like going, okay, I'm going to kiss you now. And then kiss. Just do it. It's cheesy. It's cheesy. You don't say, I'm going to yeah. kiss you now. You just oh, do it. Oh, wouldn't it be great if we and did? Why don't we just go to the room and see what you. happens, you know, without talking about it? Let's be spontaneous. But anyway, one thing led to another. She was wasted. And I kept saying, you got to stop drinking. Come on, drink some water. And then she goes, uh, we're allowed to hang out. We're just not allowed to go to their, they're not allowed to come to our cabin. What defines hanging out? Finger like you bang? Can, you can talk. No. Yeah. <laughs> Where where is the line drawn? You're not allowed to have sex, or go to their cabin, or they come to your cabin. So we went upstairs, had pizza, and she's like, oh, "I really want to go to your." I'm like, "No, no, you can't, you can't." Sorry. So my cabin was in a guest area, and I took the elevator down. I look back. I'm at my doorway, and I look, and here she comes down the hall. And it's like three o'clock in the morning. She comes to my door. And I'm like, "What the fuck? Come on in." So she comes in, and now my phone is ringing, and I think it's this girl who was, works there, who was, calls me every night at like 4 o'clock in the morning because she wants to come over. So I'm not answering the phone. And the phone's ringing. I'm not answering. I'm not answering. Meanwhile, oh, by the way, she, before she comes in, I go, so uh, who, um, there's, a, there's a great video on, on Planet Platypus's first show, actually. They do a whole thing about this. I'll send it to you of my little story with pictures and everything. And uh, I go, who are you cruising with? She goes, my mom and my brother. I said, aren't they going to be worried about you? And she's like, oh, no, they're drunk. They're fine. And I go, okay, fine. 
Well, meanwhile, while she's in my room, guess who wakes up and files a missing persons report with Her security? Mom. Now security is walking around the ship with a picture of this girl. Hey, have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? They're like, oh, yeah, we saw her hanging out with the comedian. (laughs) Now the cruise director, the assistant cruise director, everyone's calling my cabin, dude, to tell me to get this girl out of there. But I don't answer because I think it's somebody else. Finally, I answer the phone. What? And they're like, Michael, this is security. Can we talk to you for a second? I'm like, sure. And I come outside. They're like, have you seen this girl? And I'm like, yeah, but she's not here. I mean, I was hanging out with her, but she's not here. They go, do you mind if we take a look? I said, no, come on in. (laughs) Meanwhile, the cabin is as big as your closet, right? And I will go in and I don't see her. I'm like, where the fuck is she? So I open the closet door with them standing behind me. And I see her in there, and I go, nope, not in there. And I close the door. Uh-huh. And then I open the other door, and I left it open. Meanwhile, they go, do you mind if we look in there? I go, no. And they open it, and there she is. I'm like, fuck. You should have said, yes, I do mind. I should have said, yes, I do mind. Or what a, you I know cro- what somebody I else did? I cross-dress, and I don't want you to see my dresses. Somebody put a lock on their door. One time they locked it and said, that's not my closet. Because we share, clo- we, we kind of like share our, our, our room sometimes when we go from ship to ship. So this, I could have locked it and said, that's not my closet. That's what somebody else did before. Oh, locked her in there? Yeah. But what, I didn't even... What if you forgot about her? <laughs> you know what I should have done? Holy shit, there's a girl in my closet. Man, <laughs> am I glad to see you guys. But so they took her and then the captain met with me. He's like, Michael, you're a great guy. You make us a lot of money. You're a great comic. You've never been in trouble. Just don't do it again. You can't put girls in your closet. I'm like, okay. So I even did another cruise. Like, I thought I was going to get fired, but I didn't. I just did another cruise because they already paid me. That's why. So um, I got home. As soon as I got off that ship, I got an email. We terminate our professional relationship with you. You will get no more gigs from us, blah, blah, blah. Oh, She's sucks. a lawyer. She wrote a letter on my behalf to the owners of Carnival Cruise Line saying, this guy actually was a gentleman. I, he said no to me. I, he... You know, I pursued him. It didn't matter. They have a zero tolerance policy. You should have sued her. She wanted to give me money. She felt bad. I would have taken it. Like, yeah, I, I just lost thousands of dollars of work because of you. About 90000 Because you wanted to suck my dick. Almost 100000 Yeah, they, uh, they, they now call it getting panzeka when it happens to people on the ship. <laughs> I wonder if they would care. Like, I've never been on a cruise ship. But what if I did that with a guy? Would they still have a zero tolerance policy? Nobody. First of all, nobody would care about a missing guy. You know what? The ship and the captain and the staff captain didn't care because they all do it. Everyone does it. The reason it happened actually, is because you the, got sloppy seconds. The captain just did her when she came to your <laughs> room. The paperwork that the security guys filled out. Plus, security hates Americans. They're not American, and they hate comedians because we make more money than anybody on the ship. Other than the, the crew, the captains and stuff. We make a lot of money. We come and go as we please. We're American. They hate us. So they, they're always looking to mess us up. Because we, we don't have to follow the rules. Like, we, they hate us. And um, so when they filed the... In fact, they were telling her what to say in her statement. And she goes, look, if you keep telling me what to write down... I know this is under duress. She goes, stop telling me what to write. I'm going to write you the truth of what happened with this guy. This guy did nothing wrong. He didn't try. He tried to say no. I filed him to his cabin, you know? Oh, oh and then, then after that, we tried to, like, be friends. And she still wanted to hook up. And she's like, I don't really think you like me as much as I like you. Whatever. But um, 
which I always find that's such an awkward conversation when somebody actually says that out loud. <laughs> what do you say? Like, yeah, you're right. What do you say? What are you supposed to say? There's. Well, I just, I just do like, I go like, well, I'm not sure. I mean, how do you, how do you measure that? I just say, well, I still don't really know you, so right. I might like you in the future. I don't know, but thanks for liking me. <laughs> what do you say to that? But what, you know what is another one? When a drunk, this is somebody told me this a long time, it's funny. You cannot win. When a drunk person says to you at a party or something, they go, you don't like me, do you? Because if you say, yes, I do, they're not going to believe you. And when you say, no, you don't, they're going to get pissed off. But what happened was the paperwork. Because the paperwork went to corporate, there was nothing that could be done. My boss didn't want to fire me. Nobody wanted to fire me. Everybody wanted no, me to stay. No, but when there's HR people involved, yeah. that's what they jerk off to yeah. is firing you. They're, they're looking to fire people. Just like the police need a quota of how many people are speeding a month. Yeah, I mean, at least... It'd be different if you showed a pattern or there was a problem. You should get a warning. Oh, yeah. But you know what? I was getting sick and tired of the cruise ship comedy thing, man. It was a lot of money. Okay? It was great money. But... You have to be clean. No. No. You do five 30-minute shows. Two are clean and three are R-rated. I don't mind that part. It was just the, like, factory mentality. And then, like... You're like a Disney world. You're like yes. part of Disney world. And they all they got to do is complain like one time. Like I was on a ship from Europe and I do this joke where I go, um, I make fun of all these groups. And then I go, are there any black people here? And then I go, welcome. And I go, Carnival has asked me to refrain from the use of the N word this evening. So I won't be saying Norwegian, which is a cruise line, right? It's a joke. Yeah. So everybody gets it. And these two black people got up, like right after I said it, stood up and walked down to the purser's information desk and says, we'd like to complain because they think they're going to get shit for free. Every time they complain, they're right. free shit. They weren't really offended. No, they just they didn't want to pay cover. Exactly. They go, so uh, we'd like to complain about the comedian. Why? Um, he said the N-word. And they go, he said the N-word? They go, no, he said the N-word. He actually said the N-word? <laughs> No, he said the N-word. And then this girl comes out. She goes, are you talking about Mike Penzika? And they go, yeah. I know that joke. I've seen him a million times. It's not offensive. I don't know why that offends you. He's talking about Norwegian Cruise Line. It's a joke. Not about black people. It's about Carnival Cruise Line and Norwegian being in competition. So we're not going to give you any money. Sorry. It's not offensive. I, I, but it was, could you imagine, though? Black people at the desk going, he said the N-word. And they're like, he said the N-word? No. <laughs> he said the N-word. That'd be funny if in like the movie and then they throw the comedian overboard. Yeah. And then it comes showtime like, where did the comedian go? Fuck. He said can't, the N-word. We can't find him. But I was getting tired of it. So maybe it was a good thing you got yeah, it fired. Was good. It, it was a good thing. You go it's out a with a bang. And then nobody knows you on land. Like, I'm doing these killer shows on cruise ships. For like thousands of people. And then I'm now I'm a headliner because back then when I started. But I don't get when people say that because when people go on cruises, don't they live on land and they're vacationing in the water? Yes. So don't those people come back and know? Yeah. There are some people on land who know you or are people who go on cruise ships just so weird? But you, they don't remember your name. 
Yeah. Like even on the same ship, if there's two comedians, sometimes they'll come up to you and go, man, that was really funny. That thing you said. And I go, I didn't say that. You know, the other guy said that, you know, like whatever, like they come on, but the club owners don't know you. Um, I guess a lot of the guys though kept working on land and clubs and stuff when they were doing, I just, but it kind of hurts your career when you do a whole cruise ship circuit. Carl Remy, you know, he was out there and he got, he got fired or not rebooked for whatever reason, you know, this is the best thing ever happened to him too. Cause he's a great comic and an actor and he got into acting now and you know, he's really good. And it's just a, it's a hard, lonely life. You live out of your suitcase. You're at the airport. You're in a cabin. And you're not allowed to fuck anybody. You're not allowed to fuck anybody. You can fuck the crew. Oh, why don't you do that? Stupid. <laughs> you're also from Ohio. Cincinnati. Right. Yep. What's up with people in Ohio? People in Ohio are very blue-collar, conservative, hardworking, polite. They're nice people. They're, yeah, Ohio people are nice people. Really nice. I, I think people in Ohio are really nice. Hey, I'm from two states away. I'm Illinois, baby. Yeah, Midwestern people. Yeah, exactly. We're Midwesterners. Midwesterners. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Manners. Corn-eating people. <laughs> I just use, you know, those things, the corn, uh, when you eat corn on the cob, those things you stab into yeah. the sides of the corn yeah. to hold your corn. I use that to take out the rest of the weed in my pipe. <laughs> That's a true Midwestern stoner right there. Right there. So where can people find you? You're on Twitter at Mikey Comic. Right. You and have I have MichaelPanzica.com is my website. And I'm on Facebook. I've got a bunch of... What pages. if I have drug addicts who listen? Where can they come find your counsel Re- in this? Recovery Unplugged is the name of the place. Recovery Unplugged. Right. We I'm going to come by. Do yeah, an open mic I'm gonna with you guys. I'm going to set it up. You guys, dude, that'll be great. Dude, no, I'm serious. Like, I'm not just blowing smoke you're not. up your ass. I know you're not. And that, that would be so cool for them. And, and the place is all about it. You know who was in my class that I was hoping I could do that with was uh, my comedy class, but he didn't finish it. Uh, Marquise from Two Live Crew. Mm-hmm. I was going to have him come over. Oh, he took your comedy class? Yeah. That is so crazy. Did you? It, did he tell you who he was? Well, he left a message on my vo- on my phone. He goes, Hi, uh, Mr. Penziga, this is uh, Marquis uh, from Two Live Crew. I'm very interested in taking your class. Uh, I'd like to talk to you. And then he came and he took it once. But then I went on that tour. I was gone for two weeks. And someone else taught my class. When I came back, he wasn't there anymore. So. Oh, but, man, that sucks. I know. I wanted to have. I wanted Wait, to so did you ever have him in your class? One class. And what was he like? Was he funny? He's funny. He was like my age. He was uh-huh. funny. He was cool. Oh, you guys would have become friends. I know. Should I, have canceled your motorcycle tour. I know. <laughs> Start touring with two live crew. Are they still touring? I think they're starting to do stuff again. Oh, man. You fucked up I again. Know. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked up again. Oh, shit. Yeah. Well, that's cool. But, um,. Yeah. I'm obsessed with Rod Stewart right now. You are? Yes. I'm like binging on Baby Jane. And <laughs> how did that happen? I was just um, going on a YouTube binge, I guess. And I don't know. I just got super into him. And when I get into like a new song or a new artist, yeah. I just play one song on repeat. Well, there's a like all day and all night, all week. There's a guy in Del Rey that that's what he does. He does all Rod Stewart. He looks like him. He does all his songs. Oh, really? Yeah, it's Johnny Brown's in Delray. I'll let you know the night that he's that he goes there. 
It's he's really good. Rod Stewart. Yeah, how much do you think tickets to Rod to see Rod Stewart are? Is he still performing? Maybe. Do you think he is? Is he still alive? Yes, of course. There hasn't been a Rod Stewart. I'm Death. sure he's. Yeah, no, he's alive. I heard him on. He's probably uh, in Vegas, right? I heard him on Howard recently. Does he talk like? Does he sound like that? He's like constantly turning pussy down because at that point you just got to when gr- when girls are just trying to fuck yeah. you left and right yeah not that you would know what that's like <laughs> <laughs> but i know how to turn guys down like <laughs> come on we all know that that's sure. easy, that's easy. <laughs> all right how much do you think a ticket to see rod stewart is where um his neck wherever wherever his next tour date is I'm gonna guess hundred bucks. Yeah, it's got to be around there, right? I'm thinking a hundred, like eighty to one hundred and twenty. I'm guess I'm gonna guess a hundred and twenty-five. Okay. Okay. Oh my God, he's performing in Germany November fourth. I know I have international listeners. Let's go see how much it is from Gasoline Alley to another country. He's a bad dancer, though, isn't he? Well, how old is he now? No, but even I was watching his music videos. <laughs> You just like you would think, you know, you're a musician. You should dance a little better because you know music. Well, I don't know if they translate. Let's see here. Select language. Croatian, Dutch. They don't have English. (gasps) I guess it's just default. Oh, shit. I just put it in Finnish. Okay, English is the first one. It wasn't in alphabetical order. English came before Czech. What the fuck? Oh, buy tickets. One hundred and twenty one dollars and forty five (laughs) cents. You win. I was closest. All right, cool. Well, you said 125. I said 80 to 120. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, but you were closer. Yeah. You said 120, right? Yeah. All right, kids. Well, thank you so much for listening to Koo and the Gang. I will be in New York City at the Apollo Theater October 6th, 10 o'clock. At the Brokerage Comedy Club October 7th. And download past episodes, write a review, follow Michael Panzika on Twitter at Mikey Comic. Anything else you want to plug? Great to see you. It was fun. Yeah, thanks for doing it, man. It My was pleasure. Really, it was really fun.